Welcome back, everybody, to Running Into the Fog with the Joe Bros. Eric, great to have you in today. How are hey, you? Hey, brother. How are you doing today? Really good. Really happy to have special guest with us, Rob Verhelst, uh, here, fellow Dane County resident, actually fellow Wanakee resident in my case, right, Rob? Oh, yeah, just, just down the road. It's great to be here with the two brothers. I, I mean, if it's it seems like we've been waiting to have this happen for a while. Well... No, we have rescheduled a couple times, but no problem. Uh, so today uh, we're recording podcast number 14 on Running Into the Fog. Rob, and uh, today's date, June 3rd, 2021. We expect this one's going to go live uh, way around the 31st of August. Uh, pick that date somewhat intentionally. We'll talk to that here today. Uh, but let's, for the guests out there, uh, we have a little bit of a funny story about the way we actually met. Uh, we were both on a flight. I think it was from Boston back to Madison. Yeah, uh, this uh, city's right. And oh, we, yeah. happened be, we happened to be seated next to each other. I don't know where you were coming from, but uh, you were coming, I think, from a, a corporate training event that you might have been doing, or some type yep. of. Uh, yep. You know. So we we sit down. We get to talking, Eric and, and Rob and I are comparing notes on where we live. And yep, both live in the Madison area, and well, that's cool. I actually live in Wanakee. Well, no kidding. You, you, I live in Wanakee too. And it turns out that our boys had the exact same teacher in the exact same grade. This must've been what fifth grade, maybe at the intermediate fifth grade. Oh yeah. Fifth time. grade. So we've known each other a few, year, few years now. And both those boys are about to graduate eighth grade next week and move on to high school. Right. So oh. you, you forgot funny. the best part of that story is that, well, one, I wasn't supposed to be sitting next to him. I had moved up because of the leg room. And so, so randomly I'm sitting next to him. And then what was it a week before both our boys got in trouble for yeah. talking? Yeah. It was <laughs> yeah. it was like, Oh, you were the one that he was with that was getting in trouble. Oh, okay. It makes sense. Yeah. No one Benji <laughs> got in some trouble and we happened to be seated next to each other when Rob shouldn't have been sitting in that seat next to me. So kind of funny uh, how the world works, right? Oh, Sounds yeah. like destiny. Oh Yeah. It's destiny. Eric, you may not know uh, as much about Rob as I do, but uh, Rob's got a really interesting background. Rob, maybe you can share with our listeners a little bit about uh, how that story gets started. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I have a long, non-linear story uh, of my life. I've, I've went in many different directions and, you know, from playing college basketball and, and uh, water polo to starting in the fire service in 2000 to actually going to September 11th. Um, I, I worked the search and recovery. I got there a day after the towers fell and, and worked search and recovery at September 11th, 23 years old. Not, you know, not anything that I was ready for at that point. I'd only been the fire service for one year. Um, and it, it really changed the trajectory of my life. A lot of times I talk about uh, these impact moment in people's lives that where they start to understand their purpose or their passion or they drive away from it because it's too scary for them. And for many years, I actually drove away from it. And then in 2011, I was like, you know, I wanna do something to impact lives. And September 11th landed on Ironman Wisconsin. It was the 10th anniversary. I was like, you know what, what can I do to really have people see what the importance of that day was, but not really talk about it. Cause I didn't really talk about it that time. So I decided to do the run portion, the 26.2 miles. That's after the 2.4 miles, after the uh, swimming, 
after the 112 miles of biking and then on the 26.2 miles, I was like, you know what, I'm going to wear my full fire gear and finish it. Now, hindsight, that was a dumb idea. (laughs) (laughs) It weighs 50 pounds. It doesn't breathe in the heat. And I'm not the lightest triathlete. I look like I ate two of them in transition. Um, and so the problem, you know, I wanted to test it out. And this was, this was always the fun story. I go to um, the half Ironman at Racine. So it's half the distance. And they're like, you know, I'm like, okay, I got to try this out. The transition area where you, where you change from the bike to the run to the bike uh, to the, or from the swim to the bike and the bike to the run. I had my bag of gear. And this gear is in this huge black bag. I mean, it's, it's ginormous. It never fits into those little small bags that they usually give you. And it's on a black top area. And I'm not smart. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, but at the same point, I didn't realize how hot it got in Racine in July. 110 with the heat index was my first race in gear to wow. test it out. You know, nothing like uh, putting your uh, fan to the flame. So when I get out onto the run, I had a great swim, bike was good. I started out on the run and the minute I opened up my gear to put it on, it was like those cartoons, you know, like the, the, those heat waves coming out of the bag. I put it on and I'm like, this is just dumb. I don't even know why I'm out here, (laughs) but. And you had 13 in that particular instant, you had 13.1 to do. Yeah. 13.1 miles to do two miles into it. I'm like, this is, this doesn't make any sense, but everything, everything in life happens for a reason. And at that moment, there's a guy that was coming down the other way. So it was like a three loop course. There's a guy coming across and he had an FDNY tri kit and he comes over and gives me a hug. And and he's like, thank you so much for being here. This means the world to us. And at that moment, I understood that the pain, the agony, everything that I was going through didn't mean anything. All that meant was for other people to see that when you put your actions or your words into action, that's when it means a lot. Hmm. And all that pain, that struggle, that challenge, that's there for a reason because not everybody is willing to do that or not everybody wants to do that. So kind of fast forward, I've you know, started doing public speaking. I do training seminars. I've done uh, you know, a podcast, a book. It's been amazing. It's not something that you go to your high school counselor and go, hey, guess what I want to do when I grow up? You know, (laughs) it's kind of like saying I want to be an NBA basketball player. Most people look at you and they go, "Okay, sounds good. Five foot ten guy, (laughs) Um, you know, (laughs) uh, but it's transitioned into something where I can impact lives and and change lives. And that's what you want to do with your life is leave a legacy. And uh, it's not how it's not. I always say it's not how successful you are. It's how much value you end in your life. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Well, Rob, it's such a pleasure to meet you. I've heard a lot about you over the last few years and uh, looking forward to this conversation. You know, what you were saying there strikes me as very on sort of message for the Memorial Day that we just celebrated, which really is about sacrifice. You know, it's really about putting other people's interests ahead of your own. And you know, that's kind of how we define humility. Uh, around here. And and actually, Aurora has something called the HQ or the humility quotient, um, which is really, I use it as a way to qualify clients. And I don't know if Derek necessarily uses that that way or not. But um, the way I think of humility is if there's nothing I can teach you that you don't already know, then 
the intelligence that I might provide you is going to have very low yield uh, for for making a difference in your world. Talk to me a little bit about how you make choices and how you think about the engagements you take on, the uh, speaking gigs, or training workshops, or other things that you do. And and you know, I'd like to hear more about what that range of uh, offers is, Rob. And tell tell me a little bit about how you make choices about who to work with because. That I think is one of the toughest questions that as an entrepreneur, you're gonna to have to address is what deals do you take? And early on, you gotta take them all. But yeah. as you've been doing this a while now, so you obviously don't have to take them all. So tell me about that. You know, it's a great question. And you know, from my speaking to the coaching that I do, the one-on-one coaching, it's one of those things. And I guess talking about the one-on-one coaching first is I, what I do is I help people to be able to tell their story be able to bring it out in them and, and craft it into something of that they feel proud of. That's not just aligned with, Hey, we can market this great. You know, you have to have realism behind your story, especially when you're speaking. Um, people, people have a really low BS monitor right now. And if you don't have a great story, if you don't have something that tangibly correlates to something, they're going to catch on that. And so with my, I call it human performance coaching, but with that, I am really upfront with people. I'll actually only take four sessions to begin with. Hmm. And I say, I, I do that because I'm not trying to sell you 30 sessions. I don't, I don't want to be with you for a year. I want to sell you four sessions. And in those four sessions, either of us can fire the other person. Hmm. And, and the whole fact behind that is that we have to feel comfortable with it because to tell your story. And when I started speaking, it was very hard to tell my story because it's not crafting it, it's being vulnerable enough to tell people your mistakes, mm. tell people that you are fallible. And at the same point, the high points, you know, those are just gleaming moments in the whole thing. You know, as being an entrepreneur, that you're like, yes, we made, we made $10,000 this month. And then the next month you actually lost 10,000. It's like, you have to have that ability to push through. And going back to what you're saying is, being able to pick the clients and in speaking, it is a cutthroat business, it is a very cutthroat business. And everybody always says, you have to have a niche. Who exactly do you speak to? And I said, well, let's put it this way. I've spoke at the merger conference for 3M and Scott Safety, which both of them are, you know, multi-million dollar companies, if not billion dollar with 3M. And I spoke at a cheerleaders convention for the state of Wisconsin. Love it. <laughs> If you want to talk about polar opposites, you know, it's, it's, it's about that. But I think when I go and I want to talk to people, I think I want them to understand that what I'm going to give them, not everybody's going to get in their company. They're not, not everybody's going to take away something. And when I started speaking, it's kind of funny when you said you have to take every single job. And when I started speaking, I thought that I had to impact every single person in that audience. So that if I saw somebody sleeping in the audience, I'm like, oh, I'm a failure. Oh, what did I do? And conversely, now, like, what is it, 11, 12 years later, if I see somebody in the audience sleeping, I go, I succeeded because they needed sleep and I was that boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's as you move farther down in the entrepreneurial stage, you, you start to understand that my product or my service may not be for everybody, but I'm going to give them a chance and I'll give them, you know, a short window because if I don't think it's a fit, I'm going to tell you. 
I can't be worried about the final dollar if I'm not genuine with my product. And you know, that's really cool. And I love the way you talked about the person falling asleep because you as an entrepreneur, in many ways, you're, it's a process of setting yourself free uh, is how I would describe it, is, is you're setting yourself free, you're throwing off the chains that bound you to the slavery of the career, frankly. And I, I, yeah. I think of it that way is that the difference between a career and a calling is a career you have to. With a calling, you get to. Uh, and that's a very radical shift in mindset that, you know, frankly, uh, the, the pursuit of meaningful work is something that I think as, as a dad myself is all I really hope for my children. I don't care what they do, as long as it's meaningful to them and that that pursuit of meaningful work and impact then in the world as a result, you know, and, and figuring out a way to make a difference, not feeling irrelevant. I think that's that's part of the difference there between that sort of career and calling, you know, definition. Oh, by far. And I think it takes so much courage. Um, one of the things I have, I have a Ted talk that I do uh, called courage to be you. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of times what we see as successful, you go through school, you get A's, congratulations, you get your degree, congratulations, just like this piece of paper on the wall, you know, I get a Guinness world record. I have to dust it. That's really all that's there for. Right. I mean, that's, that's the effectiveness of it. It's not what you get. It's what you do with what you get. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing for kids to understand is that, you know, congratulations, you get a degree that doesn't guarantee you a job that doesn't guarantee you success. Mm. And then at the same point, you look at Instagram and I, this drives me nuts. I, I'm a, I'm not a fan of social media just because it's like, it's, it shows you everybody's greatest moments. Mm. It's like a high, it's like the top sports center, top 10 list every single day in your face. And you go, yeah, I'll never make that list. Right. And so many people value success on that instead of looking at themselves and going, what am I good at? Imagine if every single person in this world, and this is what I, I you know, I'll never do it in my lifetime, but I, I hope to do is have every single person see their little values and, and sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big. But with my foundation uh, where we deliver teddy bears, a lot of people see that as something small. I had one guy one time, he was going to donate. He, he had a lot of money. He was going to donate. And I and he asked, like, you know, how many bears do you deliver a year? And mostly I self-fund it. And we deliver about eh, 2,500 to 3,000 bears a year to kids in hospitals that need it. And people from all over the world, will they get the bears, like, my my foundation is run by a player's philanthropy fund, which is like a, a parent 501c3. And they're always laughing because at the end of the year, I zero out my account. And I zero it out because I said, well, if there's, it's $10 for each bear and to ship the bears. And so if there's $10 in my account, I'm wasting that money on trying to make more money. And I should just send that as a bear. Some kid didn't get a bear. Exactly. And this guy, this guy didn't, chose not to donate because it was too small. I said, Hey, that's, that's fine. I said, you know, and I, I left him with this thought. I said, you know, just to let you know, I said, our motto at the Farm and Rob Foundation, uh, we use an acronym, it's SMILE. And it's simple moments impact lives every day. Mm. And I said, if that doesn't resonate with you, I don't want your money. Right. <laughs> Choices, right? You were able to choose not yeah. to do what 
that person wanted you to do in order to uh, get them to play. And I, I think that's so important and something that, you know, most, most people learn too late in life is that you have to say no. Sometimes you have to say no. And it's almost more important what you say no to uh, than, than what you say yes to. So Derek, tell me more about Rob. I'm curious you know, just, about your take on him. That, that, that uh, even though that dust catcher behind your right shoulder is a Guinness, <laughs> uh, Guinness uh, record uh, holding certificate. Tell, it, tell us about that. Is that for the most uh, half Ironmans and full fire gear? Yeah. So oh, I wow. did the, yeah, it's the most 70.3 triathlon. So it's like 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike and a 13.1 mile run. And in 2015, I was like, yeah, I want to go for something big, you know, and it was more or less to get people to see the impact. You know, it was, it was one of those things. I don't really understand how I actually did it. Um, because looking back, you know, that I had, so I did 23 and three of those were fulls. So and they only counted as half. I don't, I don't know how they count in London, but they only count as half. Um, I guess it was like dollars to, you know, whatever it is, euros. It didn't correlate. Um, to be clear, you weren't swimming and biking in your fire year. This, this no, fire year I, I mean, gets put on could, for the run, right? Yeah, we could say I would did. It okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking you're, you, if you're going to swim, you, maybe the water polo gave you that training. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're, you're going to swim number, in 50 pounds of fire gear. The number of people that have asked me that, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not smart, but you may not be smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> I may win this one. Um, yeah, no, it's just for the run portion. I wear the gear and yeah. that year, um, I had actually set out to do 26 though. The record was 22 and I tried to get a different record for wearing the gear and they're like, no, you gotta, you, you can't, there's no, you can't tangibly correlate. I was like, well, you have people running in flamingo suits for marathons and getting records. I, you can't do this. And so they like, I was like, okay, well, I'll just try and see if I can go after the big one, you know, and what the person that wore the spandex, you know, it's, you can see everything from those things, but, and they're light as can be, but I was like, okay, I'll try it. So I went out there and um, the third race that I did, I was down in Florida and they're very strict with the Guinness world record. You have to have the right distance. You have to have um, people that have seen it. You have to have pictures, all this stuff. Third race, I go down to Florida and the morning of putting all my stuff in transition, I'd already finished two. I'm like, okay, I got a long ways to go, but uh, in the transition, the, somebody goes up to me and they go, do you know that they switched the bike course? It's shorter now. Oh, like no. what? Mm. And so I went up to the race official. I was like, what, what happened? They're like, Oh, the bike course was not safe. So we had to switch. I was like, um, I need a certain distance. Well, you can go in circles. I was like, no, I can't. Okay. So I had to cancel that one. Wow. So I didn't really take into account how much logistics went into this. I'm still firefighting. I'm still speaking. I still have kids that I have to take care of. Um, I still have my mental health that I have to actually take care of. Um, I got to probably, I had about three or four races that didn't go like either were shortened. One of them I finished and then found out later that it was shortened. Um, uh, two other ones, there was lightning. And then um, one of them, I just, I couldn't wake up in the morning. I was trying to do back-to-back -back races and the morning of, I was like, Nope, <laughs> just, just called it quits. But um, like I was saying before, you know, there's certain things in life that happen for a reason. 
uh, race number 22 to break the record uh, happened in Arizona. And the only reason I picked up that race, I hadn't had that race picked up before. Uh, somebody from one of their children died in the Granite Mountain. I don't know, the Granite Mountain Hotshots. It was, it was made into a movie, Only the Brave. And there was 19 hotshot firefighters that died. And one of their dads called me up and said, hey, would you come to Arizona and carry their flag for the, during the run portion? I said, wow. yeah, I'm in. And that day, the 50 pounds of fire gear felt really light compared to that flag. And it was, it was pretty awesome to have that be the winning, the one that tied it. And, you know, I gave them the medal. I gave them my bib, you know, that, that goes back to that, you know, what is the tangible value or success? It's the medal and the bib is not, but to them, that was somebody reaching outside of their, their zone, their success to be able to say, Hey, this is for you. And they actually put that, that medal on um, the tree where the guys had died or where they died around. So it's pretty, pretty powerful. And that's, that's what you just hope to transfer to your kids. It's like, you know, it's, it's a hard thing. And I know you guys probably know the same thing. It's like, as a dad, most of the days you feel like a failure. Um, It's those, those some moments where you hopefully get through to them and show them through what you do, not through what you say, um, that life is actually pretty freaking great. Yeah. I've gotten to the age guys. I don't know if you, you guys subscribe to this mentality, but I've gotten to the age where I'm not afraid to die. I'm more afraid of what's what my kids and my spouse are going to have to cope with if I'm not around. Yeah. Right. And the um, I think that that's probably for, for maybe men a, a little bit of a different mindset than women might take to it. They're, they're more caregivers, yet we're organizers of, uh, you know, different forms of care, you know, whether it be yeah. uh, financial or otherwise. Right. And I, I think about that a lot. And I, th- I think Rob, when you, when you and I sat down in that airplane three years ago and you told me about waking up, uh, seeing nine 11 occur and organizing, can you be able to walk us through a little bit for our listeners, what it was like to organize that search and rescue team. You literally drove from the Madison area right out to ground zero. Yep. Can you spend a few minutes just talking about what that must have been like? Because I can, I heard the story, but for our listeners that have never experienced or, or come into contact with somebody that spent some time there, like you did, um, I mean, you literally ran through fire and fog, and you know, sort of parlaying uh, your podcast called "Forged in the Fires" and ours, running into the fog. Can you speak yeah. to that just a little bit? Yeah, I think you know when I. It's always tough. I mean, I've, I've, I've done a, a bunch of podcast interviews and all that stuff. And um, I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten more of, I feel like I, I need to unburden um, some of the, the thoughts and the, you know, the nightmares, all sorts of stuff that continues to come and go. Um, 23 years old, I didn't really know what to expect. And I, you know, I, I bet you there's a lot of uh, young military members that can probably relate to that, you know, 18, 19 year olds going on deployment and you get in an environment where stepping on to ground zero the first time you felt like you lost all control of what you were able to do. It was, it was one of those things that was 
the vast, the vastness of what, what you looked at, it didn't look real. Um, they had all these lights up that were, that were like Hollywood scene lights. It looked like that. It didn't look like something that was, that was real. But then when you started to work, when you went into the pile and when you started doing bucket brigades where they take buckets and you just, um, scoop the, you know, whatever was there into the buckets, the rubble, um, any, <clears throat> anything like that into the buckets and just pass it on down the line. Uh, you started to realize what you, what was going on. And then from that point, you had that shock and awe kind of, and then you went to numb. And then it was just doing work. And one of the stories I always tell about, and one that I remember is uh, one of the days, probably like three days, four days into it, I was working and I had to go to the bathroom and I walked, you know, to the porta potties. There's a line of porta potties and there's a building behind it that still had a, one of the piece beams from the trade towers in it. Uh, all the glass was shattered out. Went into the porta potty and I'm wearing a jumpsuit um, just because it's of ease of convenience, go into the bathroom, go in there, sit, come back out. And as I'm walking back to the work area that I'm supposed to go to, I started to pee my pants. Mm. I was so focused and just not there that I had forgotten to actually go when I was in the bathroom. Ah. Yep. And it's, it was, it was one of those things and trailing from that events, from those events, you know, one of the things on the last day, I picked up a baby blanket um, that, as I'm walking off the pile. And for many years, I thought, you know, I took it with me. There was nothing under it, but I took it with me as like a reminder. Mm-hmm. And I always carried it around with me. And mm-hmm. I always thought that it was my purpose. It was, it was that I was still alive, that I needed to live forward. Mm-hmm. And then many years later, I figured out that it wasn't. It was actually weighting me down. It was that reminder of, of life is tragic. There's, there's, there's only a few moments and we don't know when it's going to end. And I've dealt with just trying to get past a lot of that stuff. And I think the hard part that a lot of people don't understand is, you know, PTSD and uh, depression, anxiety. Um, Yes, you can quell it, but um and a lot of people have, oh, you can, you can heal it and you can get past it and all this other stuff. And I'm sorry, but I have to say bullshit. Um, and that's, and that's okay. That's okay. I've come to that realization of it's okay. Um, and that's our culture. And it was funny that you guys were talking about that. It's like success and failure. You know, I'm damaged. I'm broken. Mm-hmm. I have to be okay with that. And that's, that's one of those success and failure things. It's like, I'm not, I, I don't think I'll succeed with this, but I I definitely don't want to fail. Well, you earned, you earned those scars uh, Mm -hmm. as psychological as they are, every one of them. And I think that's part of coming to terms with our, with our encounters with the world. You know, this is a pretty lost and broken world most of the time. And the, the human condition is one where we are mostly coping with so, bad stuff, sometimes yeah. evil stuff. And, you know, I, I compare 
that almost 20 years ago period of sort of the shock collectively nationally that we all felt and then the galvanized unity that happened over the next 18 months or so until all the political hell broke loose and we weren't quite as quick to get political i think 20 years ago as we are today uh and and it's a big difference i and i really fear for our culture as americans um that we are so quick to get political and that's that's what happened with the pandemic and as we sit here early june 2021 we've mostly been in lockdown for 15 or 16 months Uh, most of us still are to some extent Uh, life is not going back to normal anytime soon Uh, and i think there is a sense of shock and i love that you mentioned ptsd because it's how i've described it to many of the people i advise is your boss can't allow you to take risks like they used to because they have PTSD over what happened um, and they don't know it. They, they think that things are going back to normal and they, they still do. They still think things are going back to normal and you and I both know that world dissolved away. We have a different world now and that different world is one that I think was mostly predictable that this would happen sooner or later. And as quickly as we work through the cycle of grief, and that was also something that emerged about a year ago is we're in a grief cycle. This is anger and bargaining and we get, and we're getting stuck in anger and bargaining before we get to acceptance. So tell me about your pandemic, Rob, how's the pandemic been treating you? (laughs) And uh, what have you used from your inventory of coping mechanisms that have made it maybe less of a bummer than it has been for most people. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I, I think this is where I get into the idea that uh, when you, when you're a speaker or when you're a presenter or a consultant that you have to be real with people, it sucked ass. Yeah. Like I, even, even though I have a book that says that you can do this and I've been able to do all these things. Um, life isn't easy. That's the thing is like you have, I was down in my basement for over a year to protect my family. Um, cause I was still going to work. We were on the front lines going to work. We were seeing it. Um, we were getting exposed to it. Yes. You're wearing PPE, but you don't know. And actually I, I, as a city got, of Madison oh, firefighter, right? As a city of Madison our, firefighter. Yeah, yep. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, and I actually got COVID, uh, most of the guys at my station did in October of last year. And it was awful. It knocked me down. Um, major body aches, all that stuff. And yeah, it was frustrating because you want to go back to normal. And the interesting thing, and, you know, I talk to counselors all the time and the interesting thing is my normal, your normal, Derek's normal, everybody's normal is different from each other. So we can't look at it from a perspective of, well, we're going to go back to normal. My normal is that I have my body aches every single day. I have bouts of depression, anxiety every single day. Um, there's days that I don't want to do anything. Um, that's my normal. And if you went to somebody, they'd be like, oh, that's not normal. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the interesting thing about all of this is that for me to get through the pandemic, there were really, really bad days. Mm. But when I could, I had to focus on what can happen? What can I do? How can I distract myself? How can I just be okay and just talk myself through things are okay. 
what can I do to benefit others? And that's, you know, I did more podcasts. I did other things that, you know, I'm stuck in the basement. What can I do? Um, and so it was, it was really going back to what, what is your passion? What is my purpose? And if you can identify that, and that's the hardest thing for people to do, because a lot of people look to other people to say, Hey, what, what, what do you need me to do? And I've had people come to me for coaching that said like, like that, you know, what's the magic thing? How'd you get to where you are? And I was like, you don't want to take my path. Yeah. No, no, you don't. I don't want to take your path. I don't want to take your path. That's for us to figure out in our own minds. And um, yeah, the pandemic, it was bad. It's still, it's still one of those things that changed our norm. It changed the way that we operate on the fire department. And um, yeah, it's just, it causes uncertainty. And that's, that's the biggest thing that as humans, we suck at. We suck at uncertainty. We suck at unknown. We'd rather take that path that doesn't have the briars on it or that beaten path. That's the one, the paved stone path that we want to take down because we know that Derek went down this one. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> he survived. He took it. He lived yeah. through it. And he's yeah. be doing okay. And yeah. I like him and we have a lot of other things in common. So maybe it will work out for me too. And yeah, there's predictability. And I think that's, you know, that's where power and control comes in. And it's something I'm really fascinated with, not so much expression of power or control over others, but right. just expression of power and control over yourself uh, yeah. and your, your, your own emotions is sort of where it starts. Mm -hmm. Your dom domain, your dominion, your household, you know, well, as dads, we all know how little power we often actually have over that. <laughs> we have no wield. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a true influence situation where, boy, you got to get inside the OODA loop uh, uh, of your children and spouse sometimes uh, in order yeah. to make that work out. But, you know, tell me a little bit more about that whole idea. And then I'm going to pass it back to Derek to kind of, you know, come up with a wrap up for us. But tell me a little bit more about that, the the, how you help people inventory their control factors mm -hmm. and then express power in more intentional ways, more confidently. I think that's it. And uncertainty, yeah. the opposite of uncertainty is confidence. Uh, yeah. and, the, and the great thing is, you know, as, as we go through life, we have to continue to say, I don't know everything and I need to continually learn more things. And just recently, probably in the last year, it was while I was in uh, lockdown, uh, I found this emotional intelligence exam and I took an emotional intelligence test. And the interesting thing was, is it came back and I got my results, but then I had my review of my results. And as we're going through the review, I'm going, yeah, that, that doesn't make any sense. So like my, my tolerance of stress was really low and, and I know I can tolerate a lot of stress. And there's other, other factors that didn't align with, like, if you were in a business, it'd be like, oh, this is, this is why you have this. This is why you have this. And so over the last year, we've been creating something for frontline workers, um, which we'll put out in the fall, that utilizes emotional, uh, emotional intelligence testing that is taking those little aspects and actually putting it into verbiage and situations that frontline workers would understand. And not relying on that for um, healing, but it's understanding. Like you were saying, if I can understand my emotions, I have a better chance of owning those emotions. So when you take that and you find those things and you take that ownership, 
And you can take this test year after year and see how it changes. But you can take that to your therapist. You can take that to your family. I took mine to my therapist and they go, duh, this is exactly what it should say. And it was interesting because I didn't realize that. When I got the results, I, I was like, okay, this is freaky. Like, there's no reason that, why do you know that? But it was a point at which I was able to start to understand. And this, this works for salespeople. This works for business owners, entrepreneurs. And it's one thing that I've started to incorporate into, like when I do seminars uh, or, you know, um, breakout sessions is I have people do these EQ tests because it actually tangibly go- correlates to the seven catalysts that I talk about, which is passion and purpose ownership, decisions, emotional control, resilience, faith over fear, and mental strength. And those aren't like novel things that I all of a sudden I was like, hey, I'm going to create these. They're just seven things that actually I can see in my life as you go down that thing. If you find your passion and purpose, you're more likely to take ownership of all your actions, your inactions, your words, which will correlate to actually making good decisions. And when you start to make good decisions, you have to have the emotional control to actually back up those decisions and not steer yourself clear of that. Because when you have that emotional control, you can maintain that resilience, even in the challenges, even in the darkness, even in the struggles to have faith in yourself over the fears that have driven you before. And inevitably that correlates exactly to your mental strength that all of us are looking for. And it's one of those things where people are like, Oh, if I just go through that process, am I going to be able to maintain it? It's like, no, you will hop between those seven things all throughout your life. And if at one point you go, I'm just done. I don't want to hop through them. That's when you stop. You're done. You may not move forward. That's that's (laughs) time to retire. Yeah. (laughs) Time to find that beach chair and just say, screw it. I'm done. Right on. It's really interesting, Rob, the, uh, you know, from your 9-11 experience to, being a frontline worker yourself. I'm, as we wrap up here today, I'm just going to read a couple of things. Uh, and I get this from your, your website. I'm going to ask you in a second to, to remind our listeners how they can connect with you or how they can Definitely. learn more about you. But uh, about six or seven things. Sponsored endurance athlete wearing full firefighter, full firefighter gear, 9-11 rescue worker, Air Force veteran, career fireman with the city of Madison, Guinness world record holder, um, for Ironman uh, half uh, distances. Uh, Bachelor of Science and Resource Management from Troy University, Master's of Science in Emergency Management from Columbia Southern University. You've, you've done a lot in your life. Um, if you could go back knowing what you know, you know about uh, having control over yourself, uh, maybe uh, to Eric's point, uh, career versus calling, and talk to that 23-year-old Rob now, what might you tell him? Because I, I love that, that question because I think all of us in a way would tell our 23-year-old selves something, something uh, of value. But what might you tell yourself if you could go back to that, to that day when you were 18, 19, 23, whatever it might be, and, and share a little bit of that perspective uh, having been through what you've been through? You know, I've, it's funny because I asked this question on my podcast and one of the answers I got, and I steal this from that, that guy, um, <laughs> it was one of the most 
iconic answers that I've ever gotten. I said, you know, I always say, what, you know, what would you tell your 18 year old self? If you could go back. And he goes, well, Rob, first off, if I went back in time and I was looking at my, my 18 year old self was looking at my 40 year old self, I'd be like, holy crap, you look old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then he, then he went on to say something that I, that resonated with me because it was, it was exactly what you should say. And he said, if I went back to my, my younger self and I said something, I would not tell him a single thing that's going to happen in the future. All I would say is stay your course. You're going to be okay. And just be prepared. Because if I changed anything from when I was 23, I, I wouldn't be who I was today. Mm. And at the same point, those trials, the tribulations, the peaks, the valleys, the dark moments, the, the extremely dark moments, those are what create a, a person. That's what creates a human that's going to be somebody who can impact lives. If I try, always try to take that, you know, click on that uh, seven quick tips to be a millionaire. You know, if I always click on that button, I'll never find out my truest potential. I'll never find out who I can be and who I can't be because those two things are so valuable. So I'd say, you know, if I went back, I'd just tell myself, don't be dumb. Um, keep moving forward. It's all going to be okay. All right. Um, talking people. <laughs> you don't like that dumb. part? Don't Eric, be dumb. What, would you, what would you tell your uh, 18 to 23 year old self? Uh, expect the unexpected. Never quit. Make the, all the mistakes that you need to make in order to not make them again. And drink more beer than booze. <laughs> I love it. I didn't hear should have been nicer to your baby brother. That, uh, that, that should have been number. That one. would have been better. <laughs> no, because he would have came he would have came back and said, You see that guy? <laughs> yeah, the uh you know, a little bit about the Joe Bros. We we lost our dad in February ninety nine and our mom died five days before nine eleven occurred. So we're about to have a twentieth uh. anniversary of that. And of course you know, airplane travel shut down. We actually delayed her funeral to allow some family to get to town. And then it sort of got all blown up anyway. But the the moral of that story is sure we miss our our folks. There's no doubt. But going through the um, operations of losing one's parents is what sort of bonded me and my big brother Eric here together in ways that I think is a Frankly, I see it as a tremendous advantage, both uh, in terms of keeping us connected, even while being disconnected through things like the pandemic or running a business together, or whatever it might be. So you got to look for the look for the good, even in the uh, moments of chaos and tragedy and strife and all that stuff. And I love that about you, uh, Rob. Uh, I love that the universe brought us together on that airplane yes. a few years ago. Um, we got to get together for a beer one of these days uh, here in Monica. Darn right. Darn talk right. About, talk about our kids and maybe all the trouble they might get into in high school starting in the fall. You know, I keep getting gray hair and I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, bring, Eric, bring us home. Well, I'll just say, speaking as a father of four and my oldest is graduating from high school here in a few days and he's off to college next year. And 
um, thinking about uh, sort of what's changing. Now he's not had a normal senior year because of all of this pandemic stuff and um, thinking ahead to how this will inevitably change our, our kids. You know, our kids will be different. Um, and I think it'll be that what I'm taking away from this conversation guys is that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it's probably a really amazing thing if we help guide them correctly, you know, as the ones who've been put in charge of their upbringing and, you know, that upbringing, uh, today, I think lasts well into your twenties. I know it did for me. Uh, I, my dad was right. Our dad was right there giving me advice the morning he died. He was giving me advice on what to do in the business. The morning he dropped dead behind the wheel. Uh, and, uh, his last act, by the way, was bringing the car safely off to the side and, and so that mom wasn't also killed in that uh, encounter. And that's what I, I think I'm taking away from this, you know, guys, is that the, the bad stuff's going to happen and it's going to be not all bad. There's going to be things that emerge from those disappointments and, and heartaches and hardships that really will be based on how we accept it. And then what we do differently as a result, what difference will it make in our lives? And that's, by the way, something I've really struggled with, like a lot of people who have high aspirations, is being able to accept help. That's, yeah. and I don't know if I speak for you guys on this, being able to accept help is probably the hardest thing in, in, in my life. But I'll tell you what, it's totally worth it. And so with that, help. thank you, Rob, for helping us do another amazing conversation here. And thank you, Derek, for introducing me to your friend, Rob. Yeah, you bet. Rob, tell our uh, listeners how they can connect with you. Where do you yeah, definitely. Where do they find can, Fireman Rob? Yeah, you can go to firemanrob.com. Uh, you can get access to the academy. It gives you all the seven catalysts. I put a ton of information in there for people to be able to be successful. The book's on there. If people want me to come speak, I'm always uh, really cognizant of budgets and understand that because I love what I do. And um, yeah firemanrob.com and i appreciate your time today guys what you've, inspired, you've, you've inspired me i'm going to get in there and uh, donate some teddy bears i love it that's I a great it. idea you should put a link in the show show notes and then uh, let me know where you're having that beer and i'll see what i can do to join <laughs> guys this is a lot of fun it's a, deal. a lot of fun rob thank you eric always a pleasure running into the fog everybody it's always more fun when you do it together amen to that thanks again 